So this is, I don't know which episode of the Coon Street Podcast, which is coming to you from ReaderCon in Burlington, Massachusetts, with, <coughs> not with Jonathan Strawn at the moment, who is not in Burlington, but with myself, Gary Wolf, and our very special guest, Samuel R. Delaney. Hi, Gary. And hi, Chip. How are you? Fine, thank you. Fine, thank you. This is, this is going to be great. We haven't had a chance to have a conversation in years. Yeah, it's been a while. And, but this is a good year because... Uh, there's a program item here, the 40th anniversary of Dahlgren. And Has it been that long? <laughs> <laughs> I can remember, I can go back to that, I can remember buying the paperback of The Fall of the Towers, mm-hmm. all three of them, so that's got to be 50 years ago. About, yeah, they, they came out in 63, 64, and you know, the, the end of 63, in the middle of 64, and mm-hmm. the very beginning of 65. So basically... Or, or six, they're somewhere in there. Yeah, I might mean, be off by the year. And and three of your mid '60s novels are now being reissued in this vintage mm-hmm. edition. How do you feel about this? Is stuff you wrote as a teenager? Um, well, the first the, the first one was. Um, I'm uh, you know I I worked very hard on them. What can I say? Um, and um, you know, um, I can't, you're asking me to to to. to I, there's a new preface and a new afterwards, uh-huh. which uh, was only written oh a couple of months ago, um, which goes into all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, if I uh, simply recited, you know, uh, or try or praised the what I wrote there, uh, I don't think it would be very interesting. Okay. Uh, because if one, because I've done it before, and two, I've done it I think a little bit more elegantly in print than I could do possibly do it in. Um, and you know, talking about it. Uh, so I hope that's a, 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 a will urge people to actually get. It I think people, I reread, uh, as you know, Nova not, not long ago, and, it, and it's a novel which uh, is strikingly new. It seems to me, even now, mm-hmm. um, when we were talking to other people about it, uh, it's it's the sort of thing. It seems to me there are certain novels in the field, or short stories in the field, where if somebody is entering the field now, somebody is twenty-two years old and discovered, it still seems like a discovery. Hmm. And other classics of the field, including some Heinlein, if you read them now as a young person, feels like you're doing research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very, what can I say? I'm very glad that that's the, the case. There, there was a, in the 90s, there was something called, in Massachusetts, where I was then teaching mm-hmm. in the University of Massachusetts, um, in Massachusetts, there was something called the Academic Decathlon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know whether you remember that. I've heard of, I've been, yeah, I was yeah. never participating. Well, what it was is they got a lot of bright mm-hmm. elementary school students, and they gave them all a book, or several books, uh-huh. I think three novels to read and to talk about. Um, and um, and um, the, they, I think they asked everybody to write a little essay or something, uh-huh. something on it. And they, Nova was one of the books that they selected really? for the academic decathlon. This was back in like 95 in Massachusetts. Uh-huh. And um, I uh, was very touched and very honored, and I, I said, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. And I, um, and so they, all these kids read Nova, and they selected one of the brightest kids, uh, who was I think thirteen or fourteen years old, and came to talk to me, actually to meet me. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, which was very nice, and and um, and I said, well, you know, well, thank you. You know, and he said, yeah, you know, it was a very interesting book, but it seems so old-fashioned. Really. Crossed okay. my heart, and I thought, "Oh, <laughs> okay. Now I know. You know, I don't know whether this is was was, um, you know, somebody like Joe Walton or so says this, and you, uh-huh. uh, who are you know of a, a closer in age. Uh, although, who knows? I'm ninety five. This I don't know how old this kid would be now. He would, pro- he would probably be thirty. It's uh, possible. Yeah." Yeah, but the point is, I don't know. I don't know whether he would feel the same way about it today, or whether he would feel it was even a more old-fashioned. Uh, he was a bright. He was a really bright, smart kid, and there was nothing about the book that seemed. It seemed kind of, you know. In fact, it was almost like he wondered why they'd given us this book. Mm-hmm. You know, what was it about it that was, uh, you know, that was so special? It was just kind of this old-fashioned SF novel. That's okay. That, yeah. that 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 puts us in our place. Yeah, right, right exactly. I thought, sure, sure, I sort of sure felt it was, I put me in my place. I had I had a conversation with a young reader about Neuromancer the mm-hmm. same way because Neuromancer to some to people who grow up in a world that was 
partly defined by Neuromancer, mm -hmm. it seems like an urtext. It doesn't right. seem like anything adventurous anymore at all. Mm -hmm. um, but, but Dahlgren is another matter because that's still doing well and still selling right. 40 years later. It's, it's yeah. never been out of print, has it? Um, no, it hasn't. Um, neither has Nova. It would, mm -hmm. with, a, with, a, with about a three-year mm -hmm. gap at one point, because between the time um, Bantam put it out of print and Vintage picked it up. Mm -hmm. So there was about a, there was a, um, a while when it was out of print. But uh, most of my books, I've been fortunate, most of my books have remained in print. Mm -hmm. And that, then that thing, that, uh, what's his name, um, Cyril Connolly says in that wonderful book on writing that he had, he did the Enemies of Promise, uh -huh. book 39. Um, you know, the, the, the idea is not to write a book, the idea is to write a book that stays on the shelves for at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. Then you have a chance. Then you, at some <laughs> point, somebody will... You know, or yeah. it's, you have a better chance that somebody mm -hmm. will decide that it's worthwhile rereading again. Uh, and so most of my books actually have had you know, runs of more than 10 years, to most, many of them 20 and 25. And, um, and Dahlgren, 40, yeah. good 40. Um, and all of them are, you know, are, are, you know, The Fall of the Towers, which was, you know, is um, even older. It's mm -hmm. still, still in print. And the nonfiction is pretty much all available in Wesleyan in its, uh, editions much, yeah. at this mm -hmm. point. So that's... Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel, I feel like, I, and I feel like the only thing I can, I can put my finger on is that I've been very, very lucky. And some and many people have not. Now, I have I have no way of knowing if there is if quality has anything to do with it, and I will never know. In the words of Thomas Mann <laughs> about the worth of my own work, I cannot know, and you cannot tell me. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and uh. this is the, this is the way you know this is the way it works. So I'm just you know I'm just I'm just a happy son of a bitch. <laughs> you seem to be, but the uh, thing one of the things that amazes me, or I, I guess amazes isn't the right word, is Dahlgren at the time it was published was a very unusual thing to do. There have been long science fiction novels, but mm -hmm. not long complex, essentially modernist novels. And Fred Pohl bought it. Am I right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the more impressive things that Fred Pohl did as an editor, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, now on the one hand, everybody knew even then, that um, long books are better than short books, mm -hmm. but long books are also more expensive to print. Right. Uh, but if you can manage to get the long book in print, it tends to do better. Mm -hmm. um, this, is a, this is the way. So one of the reasons I thought, okay, I'll write a book that's fairly long. Maybe there may be a chance. I had no... I figured it was... I figured the chance was one out of 40. Mm -hmm. That's if I, I said, well, maybe there's a one out of 40 chance that this book will find a publisher, and if it doesn't, it'll sit in a drawer someplace. And yeah, so I gave mm -hmm. five years of my life to it. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it, and, and, and it did. Again, I, all I can see is the fact that I was lucky. I took mm -hmm. a gamble, and, um, and for a little while, 40 years or so, it's paid off. It's still my best selling book, mm -hmm. even today. Um, I don't know, I do not know what that means, and I can't know what it means. The, the, the information is structured in such a way that I can never know. Um, so that's the way that goes. But you can look at the, I don't know, you look at the work of colleagues. Uh, two of the other people that keep coming up, especially here at ReaderCon, are uh, Joanna Russ, who you were close with, and, yes. and she is our not, what's the term they use? No, I, don't, I don't want to say deceased guest of honor, but the uh, memorial, guest, memorial, of guest, memorial of guest of honor. Memorial guest of honor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Tom Dish has ever been a memorial guest of Not honor. Not yet. No, Not he yet, but he should. He's only been dead for, for um, what, since 10. Um, was it 10 or 9? Seems to me it was 9. Was seems it 9? It's like yeah. 5, 6 years now. Right, yeah. Uh, but uh, but Joanne. of quick 6 years. And they were both good friends of yours. Yes, they were. Yeah. Uh, and that was a kind of a generation that. Uh, yeah, the. the, the the four of us were that I grew up through my early writing thinking of as my contemporaries and the ones who I was interested in was Lazny, mm -hmm. Dish, uh, and Russ. You know, which is one of the reasons why I, I when you say that you're having problems in that Library of America uh, yeah. group with, with you know with Zelazny and Dish, I'm saying, wait a minute, you know, those guys were for me, they were the most exciting thing since, you know, since sliced 
since the invention of the you know of the of the, of the bread knife. Well, that's true. And there, well, I mean, Joanna is, is is certainly not a problem to anybody. But one of the things we can talk about this later. It's her major work appeared in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but but you do have people doing. I don't know how to describe what, describe what you were doing because you're all coming out of science fiction. Right. You all read science fiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. The couple of times I talked to Tom Dish when he was here, the, I think the last time he was here, one time he was in a pretty good mood actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and Charles Brown was reminiscing about cons they'd been to in the fifties and so forth. Yeah, and they, sure. and so you, the thing is, even though there's a kind of uh, academic uh, appreciation society for you and and, and, and Russ and and, um, and Dish and maybe so Zelazny is the one who's still perceived as just a sci-fi writer, which is absurd. Which is absurd. Absolutely but, absurd. I mean, this is, somebody who can do that with mm-hmm. language mm-hmm. is just more important than that. I'm sorry, <laughs> and has so much in, and can cram so much information about mm-hmm. so many things into a text so elegantly and so you know and so and so seamlessly. But he was doing the same thing, not the same thing, but he was doing something, he was doing that linguistic trick with science fiction tropes and structures. And all of you were coming out of science fiction, yes. you know, because this is something that frustrates me among, among well, other academics, is that it's as though Samuel R. Delaney and Joanna Russ invented this field on their own. And Le Guin gets credited with this as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it, oddly enough, we, it, you say that, but we did. It, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't. I was had published six novels before I knew there was such a thing as fandom. Mm-hmm. I didn't. You know, Donald Walheim never told me. Really? No, he did. Somebody. <coughs> I once asked Judy Merrill when we became friends uh-huh. after. You know, after I, I said, well, you know, why do you think Don never told me? I, I said. You, you don't think it was because I was black, do you? Uh-huh. And she said, with anybody else, Chip, I would say that is probably had something to do with it. Not with Don. She mm-hmm. said, Don had let... She said, I've known Don since he was 16, 15 yeah, years old. And she said, and Donald Walheim had less social skills than any person <laughs> I have ever known in my life. He was brilliant. He was a brilliant guy. But he just didn't know how to deal with the real world. And I think it never occurred to him that you could possibly be interested in it. I don't think he thought it was bad for mm-hmm. you. I don't think he thought. It's just like, oh, he was publishing books and you were writing books. And uh-huh. He did it. And now, it's very funny because for me, from the first time I met Don, he was a figure mm-hmm. of power. Mm-hmm. And you don't, and especially if you're a teenager, when you're 19 years old, you don't think that your pup, your your editor, lacks all social skills, or that no. somebody would would somebody would this would be somebody else's characterization, who was also in a position of, of what well, you know, Judy was a very was a very well known uh-huh. reviewer and what have you, and didn't you know, and, and I just you know I just never made I, I that's just a, a, a leap, that I never made uh, until. Practically, you know, after he was still alive, I think, when she made the comment. Probably, I met him uh, yeah, a couple yeah, of times. So, yeah. uh, but I, so I don't know. I mean, I know, now I don't. Maybe she was wrong. I don't. I, you don't know. You're, 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 every move you make is like a gamble, on, you know, yeah. somebody. And I tend to be the person who takes all those things and I give the people the best. I, I put them together in the best possible way, and give them their, you know, and give them their. Uh, Tom was a person who tended to put them together the worst possible. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate. You know, and, yeah, and I think it kind of caught up with him in the end. Um, you know, but uh, but so you know, but so I mean, it's you know, you just you you you, you do the. I think all of us do the best we can with the hand we're dealt. Then and there are certain things that we just don't have access to. Um, mm-hmm. it, like you know, like like. It's called metaphysics, yeah. <laughs> and the quality of the, the quality of the art you produce is one of those metaphysical things that you do not have ever ever have any. You can hope, you know. But then you think about you know you think about Thomas Otway or all the you know who died thinking well, he was in a greater place than Shakespeare because mm-hmm. everybody told him he had, you know. And we do not uh, you know, and we think of Venice Preserve as the example of somebody who doesn't didn't know 
that he was really second rate. That's probably because everybody true. told him he was first rate, and that this you know this was a play greater than Hamlet. Uh, and you know you can find lots and lots of people in the 18th. Well, in your case, uh, there's that famous review that Aldous Budras did in fantasy and science fiction, and I think it was Nova. It might have been Triton that basically started out as of this book. Samuel yeah, R. Delaney is, a, Nova, is, Nova, Nova. Yeah. is the greatest science fiction writer alive. Mm-hmm. And at, at your age at that, and he meant it too, because I later talked to A.J. about this, and he, he was impulsive, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. but, not, but, but very thoughtful about mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. Um, and, I, and another thing, A.J., until the day he died, was convinced that I was two or two and a half years older than I was when I wrote those things. Oh really? Yeah, he could never get it. In, you know, he could never. He, he wrote introductions in which he would give my age <laughs> and make make me two years older than I was. Um, uh, and he just he's or nor did he believe I didn't know anything about fandom. He said you couldn't have. You had to have known about. It. And we yeah. would have to actually have arguments over this. He said, Chip, you're just misremembering. You, <laughs> you know. Wow. You know, at, which, at which point, when somebody says you're misremembering like that, you stop arguing with them. You know, so I don't know whether he, I think he may have gone to his grave thinking that he was right. I, I mean, at a certain point, you just stop. You know, he, well, no, he, he might very well have been. Yeah, but I do know that he had he had he could never keep his keep the fact that I was you know that I was twenty, basically twenty four when I wrote Nova. Yeah. It was published when I was twenty you know twenty five. It was. The contracts were signed when I was 24 on February 10th. I actually oh, wow. had to look, yeah, look, no, I had to look them up because <laughs> people kept on telling me that they, you know, that I was 26. And finally, I sort of said, "Hey, I don't think so." I went five to uh-huh. three. Am I misremembering this? Everybody tells me that this is, you know, no. It, I think we got it out there, February 10th. That's why I know the date because this was actually a bone of contention for a while. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. that's it. But. Um, but you, you, you eventually got to know something about fandom. It's just yes, that you, I, I, it, yes it, and I thought, it, and when I did, I thought it was by and large a very positive relationship between, for, between the audience and the writers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, one of the things is because I started out as somebody who was assuming I was going to be a literary writer. You know, mm-hmm. I'd gone to Breadloaf, the Breadloaf Writers' Conference. Oh, I didn't know you'd gone to Breadloaf. Yeah, I know, when, I was, when I was 18, I had wow. a scholarship to the Breadloaf Writers' Conference, a work scholarship. Uh-huh. I was a waiter for two weeks, like Truman Capote had been, mm-hmm. and other young writers who'd gone there. And, um, and I, you know, I met uh, you know, Robert Frost and wow. John Ciardi and all sorts of people who were there, and I was quite convinced that that's where I was going. You know, that's the road I... And then a couple of years later, having nothing to do with any of my, quote, connections, unquote, at Breadloaf, um, because Marilyn got a job at uh, Ace. Right. Uh, and, and, um, and I was writing a book to amuse her for the evening. Uh, we both read lots of science fiction. Yeah. Uh, and um, she took it in, and this is all talked about in the press. Yeah, and also right. in, my, uh, in The Motion of Light Morning, my autobiography, the same story. Right. Uh, because, it, you know, it's the story that was there. Um, uh, she took it in. Uh, we were very moral kids. We, I insisted, and she said, "This is a very good idea." We did it under a pseudonym, and she said she found it in the slush pile and gave it to Don, and said, "I found this in the slush pile. See what you think." Uh-huh. You know, I thought it was. I thought it was. That's as far as she went. He liked it. Said uh-huh. he was going to to do it after the contracts. Not until after the contracts were actually, you know, signed and what have you. Um, she said, okay, I should tell you that actually that's my husband. Oh. Yeah, you know, oh. but only once the contract uh-huh. was signed. We were very, very moral children. Yeah, you know, we didn't, well, you know, we didn't not, not, nothing wrong, nothing, uh, no hanky-panky there. And Don's response was, I'm so glad, because with the, the name I put on it was a character from another novel of mine called, group named Bruno Calabro. Uh-huh. So this was The Jewels of Afro by yeah. Bruno Calabro. Right. And John said, Don said, I am so glad that that's your husband, because I hate the name Bruno Colombo <laughs> for a writer. Uh-huh. And so I went back to being, but, they changed the mm. name on the contracts, and I went back to being Samuel Ardellini, and have been Samuel Ardellini ever since. Well, you, <laughs> congratulations to Don Wolheim then. Who, yeah, um, that's, that's, that's how it happened. I mean, um, and you know, and the, the, you know, um, 
the rest is history, which is another way of saying it's just as complicated as everything. Of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> but you did. You, even though you hadn't been involved in fandom, you obviously had read a lot of science fiction. Yes, as I had. Kid. Yeah, I was in part of the science. Marilyn and I were both mm. part of the science fiction club. But the science fiction club had knew that the science fiction club at the Bronx High School of Science had no connections with with fandomism, with fandom, with a capital mm. F. Huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Later on, though, the, the, one of the things that comes up, uh, or if there were connections, we didn't. Well, there, there, but some nobody in that group that you knew of went to actual fan conventions. I didn't know there were fan yeah, conventions. Yeah. yeah. I think it happens to a lot of people that they discover much later in life that they're a fandom. And, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, but, mm -hmm. but then you uh, later got involved in academia, which is also a, a what's the right, a province of literary study, which is sure. different from being a professional writer and certainly different from being a fan. Yeah. But is a kind of fandom in its own way, I think. Absolutely. But, uh, I'm so glad I had the experience that I'm in fandom because it made a, it made a lot of academia make a little more sense, uh -huh. and also made a lot of it look a lot more stupid. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I I was a self-supporting writer basically till I was 47. Yeah. Uh, and I you know and um, um, then I'm, up until then, in the decade before, I had a lot of visiting academic mm. things where academic people in academic. I was a visiting Buffalo prepare chair professor at the SUNY Buffalo. Right. Uh, I went, went to the. I was a senior fellow at this uh, Center for Twentieth Century Studies and another. Mm. I had another fellowship at. Um, uh, oh. A whole bunch of them. I don't even remember them. I remember seeing your name show up. It was yeah, lots of different universities. Yeah, yeah. Over the I, years. I was always I was always visiting this place or the the other place and having a great deal of fun mm -hmm. doing it. And, um, but uh, finally, um, one of the things that happened uh, in the by the mid between the late seventies and the middle eighties is that our economy tanked. Yeah, <laughs> right. And when at the end of that time. Um, at the end of that time, where there had been 79 publishers in New York City before, there were now, there were at that point eight. Uh -huh. They had gone down from 79 to eight, yeah. um, and um, and you didn't have the whole support of you know of, of Norton and Bob's Merrill and, right. you know, and Doubleday and all one after another. These had all been absorbed into you know into you know into Bartelsman and. And Holt Spring. And, and right, exactly, and all the, you know, and, and, the, and all of those things. Um, and um, I was at, at that point, I was at the Andrew D. White House at Cornell. Uh -huh. uh, again, it was as, as a, I would have a senior fellowship there at the, at their, the, the Cornell. It was one of their humanities centers. Yeah. And um, I was sitting at my desk, and, and a bantam was putting out, putting my books out of print once every two weeks. Hmm. I was just, I'd be just sitting there, and they'd, I'd get a call from um, whatever, whoever was in charge. Was it was Blue Veronica, I'm not sure. Could have been. It might, it might have been, it might have been um, Sydney, whatever her name was, who was an editor there. Mm. I don't know who did the book. But, you know, it, 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 sales just don't warrant keeping this book in print. So it's been in print for 20 years, but it's going out of print. We're putting it out of print this month. So you're just watching the stars yeah, wink out one at a time. Yeah, yeah right. And, they, you know, and then two weeks later, they would put another one out. And then Jeez. two weeks of the, by the third one, I thought, this is, wait a minute, this is a pattern. Yeah. <laughs> this is something that every two weeks they were putting another book out of print. I thought, what does this mean? Um, and at which point, I thought, what I, I thought, what I didn't know what it meant. Uh -huh. I know what it means now. But what, what eventually what happened is uh, I got a call in the middle of that from um, uh, Mark Shell at the University uh -huh. of Massachusetts, um, shortly to be a MacArthur winner, mm -hmm. uh, and um, who said, uh, whom I had known very, very vaguely um, about 10 years before at another one of the universities, said, would you like to come and be a professor of comparative literature at the University of Massachusetts? Mm. And I said, my first, I swear, I said, I said, Mark, you must be mistaken <laughs> for somebody else who spells their name with an E before the Y. I can't have, why would you want me? Like, he said, no, no, we really mean you. We've read some books of yours uh -huh. and what have you, and we're all very impressed. Would you like? I said, okay, well, what do I have to do? And so I came and I gave a talk, and the next thing you know, I was a full professor with tenure. There you go. <clears throat> and 
Um, and I have been for the last, you know, ever since 1988 when I started there um, at three different universities. Um, I have no BA. Um, it was on the on the strength of you know on the strength of these little books I published with David Hartwell, The Jewel Hinge mm -hmm. Jaw, The American Shore, and um, and Starboard Wine. Mm -hmm. And between the three of those, um, you know, suddenly they, they wanted someone who could do popular culture, and they wanted someone who knew theory. Who knew theory, and and, uh, and you know, and I, I, I had read all of this stuff so because I thought it was fun. <laughs> so you're reading Frederick Jameson for. Yeah. For giggles. Yeah, well, not giggles. I found it and, well, no, and, 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 and I'm also reading the Derrida of Foucault. And, and, yeah. and, and, and James at that point is a popularizer. Well, yeah. uh, very, you know, the, the Marxism and Form is a wonderful popular, it's still a good, good book. You know, oh, it still is. And Jameson is somebody who actually has read a lot of science fiction right, as well and, and yeah. paid attention Absolutely, to it. Absolutely, yeah. But before that, even, you and. Uh, well, you and Russ primarily, I mean, even in science fiction studies back in the 70s, were establishing a kind of theoretical well, argument she, about... Well, she, she felt very different. I liked theory. Uh -huh. Russ did not. Russ was, Russ, was one, Russ was one of the backlash people. Mm -hmm. But, we never, but what, what we had in common was science fiction. Right. And I was always saying, oh, come on, Joanna, it's not that... She thought that, you know, she thought that the, the thing that happened with the, the language criticism in theory was the worst thing that happened to the English language. And, well, and, yeah. yeah. Which, and I said, well, no, it's not. It's just, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like um, Charles Doty or, or, you know, or what's the guy, you know, who's that guy who writes that very, very ornate, um, not, not John, John Crowell, not Crowley. Not um, not John Crowley. Not John Crowley, but it's he's. It's a name very similar to John Crowley. Mm. Um, but anyway. Anyway. Yeah. And so you know, I said it's just, it's like it's like Ruskin and 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 uh, Carlyle and Pater. You know, they're, 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 in fact, I said you know you, you Derrida, Barth, yeah. and Foucault are, are almost an analog to to Pater. Uh, well, Derrida is performative. I, yes. There's no question that he's having fun. With language yes. as he's writing, right? Exactly. Yeah, um, all of them are. Well, I think they all are, but I think. But they, but they're fine. What what it is is that they're they're interesting, as writers. Yeah, they really are, and this is what I kept on you know pushing with Russ, and she said, "I'm sorry, I don't care whether that's interesting or not. I think it's just obscure, obscure, you know, obscurantism." Yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, this is this. Um, and she had this bizarre falling out with, <coughs> with one of her writing students. <coughs> Jane Gallup. Mm -hmm. uh, Jane, of course, being a Lacani, a major Lacani. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. I could get some water for you. Do you have some water? Let's. Uh, you yeah. want to take a little break? Oh, let's tell you what. We can take a break if you like. Let me put this on pause. Oh. So, so Russ had this falling out with. Who well, was with Jane Gallup, who was one of her brightest uh -huh. students, and the fact that Jane, um, who. Thought of herself as much of a feminist as Russ, mm. nevertheless, thought Lacan, Lacan was a really important thinker mm. and, and found him interesting. Uh, and uh, you know, and, and Joanna and I kept on sort of defending Jane. You know, mm. Too, I said, look, Jane you know, has written some a very a couple of very interesting books, you know. And she said, no, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but but. but it was good because I mean the the result was a correspondence that fills cartons in uh, at, uh, at the Howard Gottlieb Memorial Archive. Wow. Um, we I mean I think if you published the the correspondence between Russ and Delaney between 1968, which mm -hmm. is when it really got started, there are a few notes from a few uh -huh. uh, up through the time that it ended to shortly about four or five months before she died, I think you'd have a six-volume set. Some was just, is somebody worth it? <laughs> you've just got... And it's uh, really, and, it's, and it would be yeah. really, I think it would be really interesting. Um, and, and, and as I said, her side is much, probably more so, more so than mine. Um, at least that's the way of, uh, I, you know, I'm much more interested in her, was much more interested in her letters than I was in mine. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that she was uh, on the attack in that, if you were in the position of defending theorists and... And you were in academia, which she had. No, she she did teach, didn't she? she? Oh she, yeah, she, 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 oh, she would. She had been teaching all yeah. along. And one of the things, one of the reasons I think she was as as critical of academia as she was, because she she'd been in it and she knew what it did. Yeah. I saw it from the outside. It looked quite romantic. 
you know, and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and all, all I saw was the really high points that came out of it. I didn't realize all the, you know, <laughs> all, all the, um, uh, what would you call them, the academic mediocrity which the high points rose well, above. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and you entered academia as a, as a professor of world literature, so in a sense you weren't, in, you, you, were, you were never really trapped in the no, I, science fiction ghetto within academia. No, I, uh, no, although, well, yes and no. I mean, um, you're one of the, um, I, do you know, do you remember David Samuelson? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, one of the, th David is, I think is responsible for one of the great misunderstandings of Delaney. Oh, really? Um, but I, you know, I love him like a brother, uh, and still do. But <clears throat> uh, um, someone had interviewed me, and they said, "Well, how do you teach um, literature?" And I said, "I don't. I teach science fiction." Uh huh. Uh, meaning that no institution I had ever been in, once I got there wanted me to do anything else except teach science fiction. Hmm. You know, nobody did. Right. You know, I would come there and I would expect, even when I was these visiting things at various institutes, I would say, well, look, hey, you know, give me a bunch of graduate students and I will do some interesting thinking yeah. for you guys. And they'd say, um, yeah, yeah, but can you do this undergraduate course in, in, in science fiction? That's kind of what our students want. Want, yeah. And I would say, Oh, all right. And I, and I, and I would say, the next thing was, look, uh, can you, okay, I, I will do that if I can teach Sturgeon and Zelazny and Dish and mm -hmm. Russ. These are the people I think are doing really interesting work. Well, don't you have to teach um, um, uh, Cantle for Leibowitz? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, isn't that, somebody's told me that's a really good book yeah. and that's really important. And that's really literary. And that's, yeah, and, yeah and, and I would say, I don't want to teach Canticle from Leibowitz. I don't like it. <laughs> I, it does not grab me. There's nothing about it I think that is that interesting. Oh, well then you're going to teach um, 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 the Space Merchants? Because that's a really mm. good book. I mean, I, I, I haven't read either one of them. Uh, of course, no, yeah. But, you know, it's an interesting book. It's a really interesting book, mm. but I do not think it is as interesting as Dish, Russ, <laughs> Zelazny, <laughs> you know. Oh, oh, oh. You know, I have this, you know, eventually I began to come up with fancy answers, you know. <clears throat> and basically I was just saying, look, I want somebody who writes a text that's rich enough to read in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. And I do not think any of these other texts are that interesting. At the surface of the text is just is not that interesting. You know, mm -hmm. you will not find a sentence like... Um, the big one was the platonic idea of a pebble turned inside out, born of computer and aspiring to the condition of mechanical opera, <laughs> which is from Russ's and Chaos Died. Chaos died. You're not going to find that in Canticle for Leibowitz. No. You're not going to find that in The Space Merchants. You're not going to find that in Phil Dick. I wanted sentences like that to wrestle with. And I wanted whole pages like that to wrestle with that were also actually about something. Mm -hmm. You know, that you can talk about. Um, the first class I taught in science fiction at um, uh, uh, SUNY Buffalo, uh, uh, we were going to, we were going to uh, I, I announced the second class. The first mm -hmm. class was just a general. I said, now we're going to spend this first, um, the next class on the first paragraph of this immortal, mm -hmm. Rogers, which should be called and call me Conrad. Yeah, and one of the students said, "We're going to spend a high, entire class on the first paragraph." <laughs> uh, and he said, "And I said yes." And he said, "You can't do that. You ju you, uh, you just can't do uh -huh. that. I bet you you can't do that." <laughs> and I said, "Come to class next time and uh -huh. see what happens." So he did, mm. and at the end of the class, he said. You did it. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> and I smiled and I said, I hope you come to the rest of the classes. I hope they're just as interesting. And the students yeah. learn that science fiction stories can have interesting paragraphs. Which is, like, one of the things that does strike me, <clears throat> because you mentioned Phil Dick, mm -hmm. and whose style was not 
Now, Fildic is not is just as rhetorical. Is it? There are all texts are rhetorical. Well, yes, and and yes, there there's something to be said for taking the simple text uh -huh. and and showing the rhetoricity of something that seems to right. be right. That wasn't what I was into no, at that particular okay. time. I wanted to take something that you know that was that had some looked like it had some meat mm -hmm. to it and show that yeah, you're, it's not just you know it's there the the meat is really there. Uh, but you know, and, and the other thing is fine too. I mean, you can take a, you know, you can take a haiku, and you know, and, and write a you know, mm -hmm. if you want to. Um, but you have to draw a lot more stuff into the text, a lot more historical stuff, and so you know. But that's but you know, um, so I mean, the pedagogy has to change as mm -hmm. the texts change, and the and the pedagogy has to rise to the um, rise to the text. Uh, you know, the occasion of the text, and it was, you know, and 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 it, I wasn't, I was certainly interested in the ideas, but as I have written now, but but there were too many ideas that terrorized science uh -huh. fiction criticism, you know, um, the, the 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 utopia, you no know, dystopia, well heterotopia, uh, hetero no. but well that was my that, that was yours, that was my attempt to throw mm. something in to, that, would, that mm. would trouble the work, trouble the waters, as it were, trouble the works. Um, you know, and, and all sorts of others. I list them. It's, it's a various and sundry essays. Mm -hmm. These are the these are the these are the ideas that we have to retire from science fiction criticism because once you say them, everybody knows what they mean. There's nothing new in them, mm -hmm. or you know, or that you can revive them, I suppose. But you'd have to spend a whole a whole term making each one come to life again. And I, you know, who's, I'm not teaching here for I'm teaching here for a term, not yeah. for, not for so, I'm not teaching a five-year seminar. So that's you know that's that's the way that. It's, so the, the pedagogy had to move along with it, and it and it, sometimes it was good. Mm -hmm. You know, not all the time. I'm not having said that. I'm not a good teacher. Really? No, I'm a, I'm a I'm an okay teacher. I would, and one of the reasons I wanted to retire because I think I'm a better writer than I am a teacher. Yeah. Well, not having had you for I mean, I, I'm I'm pro I'm going to be biased in favor of the writer thesis as well. But 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 there's there's a third category. There's kind of the critic and theorist part mm -hmm. of it, which is not which is both teaching and right. writing. Right. Yeah. I think I that's the point. I mean, I, I'm I I I think I I think I write a good game. I synopsize a better game. Mm -hmm. But you know, to actually sit in the class with me, there's a lot of ums and I'm, if, especially if I'm thinking mm -hmm. trying to think through this on my feet, you know. Um, one of the things that you have to put up with somebody doing that is all the time they don't have any particularly interesting idea, whether it be for ten seconds or ten minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is part of the, the this is, and unless you are willing, unless you come to a teacher saying, "I will sit through the I will sit through the long boring parts because mm -hmm. maybe I will get something," but I didn't come there with that kind of that kind of you know heuristic charisma. Yeah, I just came there as a science fiction writer. But you're teaching students. I mean, most it seems, most most science fiction writers, at least when they're teaching, are teaching writers' workshops. And you're actually teaching teaching students of literature. Right? You're right, teaching yeah, literary yeah. theory, which is a little bit different. Yeah. And the idea that the, the idea that the language of science fiction is somehow definitionally different from languages of not definitionally. Well, it's just okay. descriptively. D descriptively, okay. Yes, you, you. Um, <laughs> that, well, that's an idea which is caught on, which yes. is now as kind of a standard argument among science fiction criticism. And I wonder if you think that uh, that that the whole critical project about science fiction has made any progress in the last thirty, forty years. To be perfectly honest, I don't know whether I've kept up with it that well. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I you know, um, I read the yeah, I read the occasion. I, the last book I read on science fiction, um, you know, it seemed moderately interesting. Mm. You know, I, I, whatever it was, I can't remember its name though. Um, they to, they go down, you know, they come and I read them. Uh, there was the um, oh, the one um, what was it? Uh, what is the name of the uh, paradox? It's paradox. Oh, the paradox issue. Um, road the, the, with the road sign on the front. Oh, that's the one. Um, yeah, I know exactly. It's got it's got a speed limit sign or something. Yeah, speed limit. Yeah, yeah. Um, which has got some interesting things. Yeah, this SF now. That was called SF, SF, SF now. now. Right, that was uh, yeah. Mark Bold and somebody else. Right. Yeah, I thought some of it was good, and mm -hmm. I thought and I thought and I, I um, 
the thing I thought was the, that had the most energy was the Juno Diaz um, of interview, um, which was nice because I am very fond of Juno and I'm very yeah. I'm very you know I, I I consider him a friend. Uh, he's coming by later today. Oh, good. Uh, but I, you know, and and it's nice when when you somebody who you think is a friend does something that you really you think is really kick-ass, uh, and so that was good. Well, he was here a couple of years ago. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was, and he knew who I was, and he knew who Clute was, and I thought, no. At first, I thought you're you're being really nice because you couldn't possibly. No, he's he, he reads this stuff. He, he, he reads. Yes, he, he, this is a this is a very smart guy, mm-hmm. and who's. I don't know, have you read? Uh, yeah, read I read, I read, I read yeah. Oscar Wilde, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and this is, you know, he, 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 replaces, he, re- he replaces Shakespeare and the Bible right. with, with, you know, with, uh, with, with, with um, you know, the, the paraliterary canon. He wants, yeah, he wants yeah. to write the Dominican Lord of the Rings, right, I yeah. think he said. But it's more than that. He, he's, yes. he's, he not only, he also, as he, used, as a literary, to the, as a literary technique, mm. he, he, every place where, if he were a Victorian, Novelist, he would have a reference to Greek mythology uh-huh. or what have you. He reference he he refers to you know um, um, Elric you know, El, um, Elric Mel Mel Nibini well, yeah, or, right. or, or what have you, which is spelled with a small M. I noticed, <laughs> and I pointed it out to him, and that's got to get a capital M in the next uh, edition, uh, and things like that. You know, all through all through the thing. Well, the book is full of it's it's one of the few mainstream novels that seems to be full of. Subtle shout outs to to only genre readers, in other words there were there were there were things in the book for the likes of us, yes, that the mainstream reviewers who loved the book and gave it was the Pulitzer uh, yeah, yeah yes i 'm sure they didn 't know what, what half these illusions were oh huh yeah, I, I, well, I think probably I think we don 't realize how many people know what we 've been doing what, why do you think this ridiculous kerfuffle with the puppies and what have you is in the Nation and uh-huh. the Guardian? Right. And the, you know, that's not because that's not because people don't know us anymore. Now, because because they do. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's you know, um, and that's why you know that's why that that's what that's how, one of the ways in which things have changed. I don't know whether it's a change for the good or a change for the bad or what have you. I, you know. Um, uh, but it's but it is a change that's got to be dealt with one way or the other. Well, it's uh, in, in a sense, it's what people for generations wanted to happen. I mean, the the idea yeah. that we want to be accepted, we want to be mainstream, we want to be part of the culture. Mm-hmm. And but when Can I steal a cherry? Uh, and they have lots of cherries. I, These are good cherries. I will just take. I'll take three. Okay. <laughs> and in fact, if you want to get rid of the pits. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we're having cherries on the podcast now because I can mention this that at ReaderCon when you're a, a guest of honor they give you a big bowl of cherries. Mm-hmm. Um, plastic punnet. And oh, well, plastic, size bowl. plastic punnet. Absolutely. Um, so we be- but okay, the other thing is you become an administrator, not just a teacher. I mean you've been a program director for some years now. Hell. It was hell. And that doesn't sound like fun. It was not fun. It was it was hell on earth. Mm-hmm. Again, if I am a bad teacher, I am a worse administrator. <laughs> I don't have no feel for it. I get nothing out of it, mm-hmm. uh, except a few sleepless nights because I am a perfectionist and I want to do things mm-hmm. right, and I don't know how. One of the things that was so funny, when I first became a, 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 um, a professor, mm-hmm. um, the second year I was there, I think it was year, um, um, Mark, the, who was our, the chairman of the mm-hmm. comparative literature department, went on, I think that's when he got his MacArthur, and so he was away yeah. on some visiting teaching thing at Harvard, I believe. Um, and so I became um, uh, um, comparative literature. We had a comparative literature department, not a program. We uh-huh. had a department. And, one of the, and it was the largest comparative literature department in the country. Not the best, ah, by but any big. means, but it was the biggest. Mm-hmm. It had the most faculty. Um, and I became the, I was the uh, uh, head, we had heads and chairs, and, I, mm-hmm. and the, this department had a head, and I was the head for a, a, a term, too. And, and one of the reasons I realized that the department had, that the department had, had been happy to get me to be head is because while Mark was away, they realized this, this guy knows nothing about academia. <laughs> they can get, we can get away with anything. <laughs> and they, as soon as Mark walked out of that door, mm. 
I was being pushed around and used to do this, that, and the other things that they could never have done before. And they, you know, and eventually I realized that hey, you know, I just yeah, you know, we were, you know, the 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 cat's away, and it's time for the mice to, you know, have a have a party, which I didn't like. You know, I don't see that. Yeah, but on the other hand, I didn't know how to requisition money to get Coca Cola for a reception. Oh dear! Any graduate student would have known more than I would have. And you didn't have an assistant or a secretary? Or there was a secretary, who was, but she had, you know, secretary, we had a wonderful secretary who saved me many times. I was going to say, that's what happened when I was dean. The secretary knew how to do all mm-hmm. those things. I never learned anything. Mm-hmm. And but I suspect you would be surprised at all the things you didn't know um, that I didn't know. Could be. As I said, I didn't know, I didn't know how to have a, I didn't know how to have a reception mm-hmm. to somebody. Um, and um, so you know, I mean, so be, I mean, and, and and at the end, I had learned a lot. Uh-huh. Um, I got a novel out of it. Um, yeah, The Madman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with my academic, which is your academic, <laughs> your <laughs> David Lodge novel. In a way. <laughs> right. yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and you know, and I think there, and at least at the Academy's behalf, there are a few giggles uh, in there, but. Uh, I, you know, but I, I wouldn't do it again if you paid me. Um, well, that's the point. The reason you do it in the first place is because you get paid for doing paid, that yeah, sort of yeah. thing. But I'm trying to think of... There, there is something about starting out as a genre writer and not getting a degree. You and Phil Class are probably the only two people I can think of because Phil Class at Penn State never had a degree but ended up as a full professor mm-hmm. of creative yeah, yeah. writing. And Jim Morrow's mm-hmm. mentor and the mentor of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think that would happen. I don't think that's happened for writers who, that I can think of, that that weren't genre writers in some sense. In well, I think it was part. I mean, um, the guy. There was a guy. I wish I could remember his name. There is. A, there was a guy who had the office next to mine and was the chairman of the English department at SUNY Buffalo. Mm-hmm. The first year I taught there as visiting Butler chair professor. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the chairman of the English department. He had no PhD. Huh. He, uh, I think he may have also, um, I don't remember whether he had a BA, uh, but he certainly had no advanced degrees, and on the strength of his books, um, he had become, and you know, mm-hmm. s- some of which there would be p- passages that were interesting, and some of it was just bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I read them, I read them, and, and it was interesting. And one of the, he, he took part in the, uh, the, the Hopkins seminars. Oh yeah, you remember the, the, well, where the where the first wave of structuralist right. post structuralist right. thinkers, and the first very first question, um, for the first presentation, I wish I could remember his name, uh, and it's in, it's included in um, um, the uh, Maxi Donato um, publication of the of the of the, of the proceedings, mm-hmm. and he hand was up and he asked this question of Lucian Goldman. Mm-hmm. Who you know is a French speaker but speaks English, and Lucian Goldman says very nicely and politely, um, um, "Thank you very much for your question, but I haven't the faintest idea what you're talking about." <laughs> you know, and 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 then let's go on to the next question yeah. because what this guy said was total shit. It was it just did not make sense. It's and it's, tr- it's recorded there. And you can and read, you can read this, and it, read it, it, it really it, is nonsense. It really, really is nonsense, and I think, and it, and it was probably embarrassing. The guy is not stupid, but the point is, that academics could get away with that in the sixties. Well, yes, they could. Was now when you were at Buffalo, was Fiedler still there? Yes, Fiedler was the one who invited me. Okay, now Fiedler is somebody who was very impatient with that kind of academic yes, obfuscation. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Um, and. So he, he he must have been on your... Well, he actually wrote he wrote a book about Stapleton, didn't he? I don't... I, I think he a did. A book on Stapleton? I don't know. For I Oxford University. Well, he certainly edited the anthology. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he... Did he really know science fiction at all? Yes. Because I, well, since yes. I thought... He, he knew, knew science fiction... He knew science fiction uh, pretty well. Uh-huh. He had not thought about it. Okay. But he didn't, but, he didn't know it. We gave. I gave. Uh, one of the things I had to do as Butler chair was to to host a uh, um, to host a, 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 a 
conference on science fiction, which mm -hmm. I did. Um, he came and gave a presentation, which was perfectly acceptable. It wasn't brilliant. I don't know whether mm -hmm. he even ever, you know, I, I don't think he was something he wrote out. I think it was purely on top, off the top of his head, and it was perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, I don't think it, you know, it didn't, didn't start any fireworks with anybody. Uh, what I wanted to do, they said, oh, you've got this, you've got this in 1975, you've yeah. got this, you've got $10,000 to do, which was about the equivalent of 100000 That's a lot of money, yeah. Yeah, yeah, $100,000 now, uh, if not more. Uh, and I said, good, I know what I want to do. I want to have a conference of, I said, on anything? And they said, well, yeah, uh, just about anything. I said, good, I want to have a conference of women mathematicians from all over the country. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, oh, well, you know, but, 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 but this is an English, but I said, still, that's what I want to see. I want to yeah. see a bunch of women mathematicians get together. They probably have not been, you know, invited. Probably never been invited to be in one place. In one place. It would probably be a great thing and what have you. They wouldn't let me do it. Hmm. They simply said, no. And so do, why don't you do one on science fiction? Uh. That's your field. <laughs> and so I did. Finally, it, it was a case of like, do that or go away. Yeah. You know, uh, and, you know we, we won't sign the check. <laughs> you know, so I did one on science fiction. And I still wish I'd done the one on women, on women, you know, on, on, on women mathematicians. It could very well have been a famous conference. Yes. But, but I, they didn't want famous conferences. But in defense of an English department, they, they would. Do, why doesn't the math department do this? They, 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 they could easily have said... There's a reason. A, you know the reason no. for it? Because Duffalo didn't have any women mathematicians in there. Ah, <laughs> okay, now we're getting somewhere. Yes, now, not, only that, not only that, they didn't have... The, the, first, the first assignment in that first class, uh -huh. we would teach... We, one of the books we were going to do is... Uh, the one I did the, the, the whole class on, the yeah. first paragraph of and call me Conrad, um, I said, your first assignment, because we're doing a book called The Female Man, which mm -hmm. is another book we were doing, and I want you to go, I, I had kids from all over the university, I had physics majors, I had psychology majors, I had education majors, I had English majors, uh -huh. I had history majors, I had, you know, chemistry, right. and I said, your first, it was about 50-50, men and women, mm -hmm. and I said, your first, your first assignment is to go to the chairman of your department, make a date, and find out how many ten just ask, how many tenured women faculty members are there in this in your department? In your department. Yes, that's your first uh -huh. assignment. And they said, okay, they went. Yeah. Do you know how many tenured women faculty members there were in in the University of this Buffalo? This is SUNY Buffalo. SUNY in Buffalo in seventy five. I have no idea, but it's not gonna be a large number, I'm pretty sure. Take a guess. Let's see, SUNY Buffalo, a dozen? Oh, try again. Seven? Oh, try again. Two? Try again. Zero? None. Zero. There was not a single tenured woman faculty professor at SUNY Buffalo in 1975. These kids came back to this class but why are we going to grad? We all want to go to graduate school and be professors. Why are we going to graduate school yeah. if we can't? I said, we have a novel to read, and I gave them the female man, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and there we go. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, How did the female? Because we're, we're doing well. We're, there's a bunch of panels here on Russ, and the one I'm on with Nicola mm -hmm. Griffith is going to be what. The female man meant to me because in reading yeah. it at that time. But how, when you're teaching it to students, does it still stun them the way it stuns us back Today, in the seventies? No, no, it really? doesn't. It really doesn't. Yeah. I mean, what the. Um, uh, I mean, rhetorically, it's powerful. It is. It's a very powerful book. But you have to have been. You have to have been through the time when mm. when when you were surprised at the fact that there would be no women graduates, yeah, or, or right, yeah. professors in any. You know any department. Um, yeah. um, there was one woman philosopher who was being considered for tenure, uh -huh. and I believe she didn't get it. Um, later on, um, the uh, uh, now this is 1975 um, uh -huh. in, in at um, the Center for 20th Century Studies. There was a young woman uh, who was. Um, 
a graduate student who was a very bright, one of their bright graduate students interested in theory, and I said, mm. well, try reading The Female Man. You might, might enjoy it. Uh -huh. She read it. I said, what do you think? Oh, I didn't like it. It was so shrill. Shrill. It was so shrill, and, I, and it just I, that just didn't seem to me. You know, I went. I came back to visit three years later, after she had been denied tenure. Uh -huh. At yeah, and and she said, and oh, you know, and I just read this really great science fiction novel. It was called The Female Man, and I said, I said, do you remember when I gave you this <laughs> book three years? Ago? You did? Did I read it? Well, you said you did. Well, I think it's the, one of the best books I've ever read. And, yeah, that, okay. that, that's, 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 <coughs> that's how people took it. You have to, okay, you have to have a certain level of experience. Right, exactly. To get it, to, to, for it to talk to. And when, it to, and when that experience is there, to make a conversation with the book, the conversation is very exciting. Well, and one of the things that, the, the, the word shrill bothers me a little bit. Because that's what, that was her word. But but yeah, but you never hear that word applied to a male writer of any. No, no. You, um, then you always heard it applied to women writers. But even okay, and I can I I have gotten in trouble at Wisconsin with this, but she, Joanna. Actually, this is true of you and Zelazny. This whole group you're talking about, you all had a a sense of humor which seems to evade some of your readers. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, wit is wit is a way of making points quickly. Is a way of making points economically. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's as much wit in, in, I think, you know, I don't think, I hope there's as much wit into Through the Valley of the Nest of Spiders, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, which, which a lot of, you know, um, a lot of people find, I think the word is disgusting. Well, it's a, it's a, there is, it's a lot of different or things. Boring. I, it's I, boring. I, it's I, either I, boring or just I've boring. Read, I've read bits of it, and I've frankly avoided the bits that looked like I was going down someplace that... Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to be uncomfortable. But then there are philosophical passages, there are science fiction passages, there are porn passages, mm -hmm. obviously, and it's it's not all of a piece. Mm, yeah, uh, well, I hope it I, I hope it all hangs together. I, I'm sure it does, but I I don't know because not having read the whole book mm -hmm. at this point. I, keep in mind when I'm under deadlines for reviews. Uh, sure. Hey. I don't have time to finish books that I want to finish. Yeah, sure. I know. No, I you, you don't have to apologize. I don't. I have no control over one of the things I'm always saying. I, there's nothing you can put on a page that will make someone walking by mm -hmm. stop, pick it up, and read it. They no. have to, that's their decision. There's nothing you can do to get that. Sometimes you will get it, sometimes you won't. Sometimes they will read two pages, sometimes they won't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they will read 150 pages and stop, and you have no control over the reason why they stop. It may be they don't like the color ink that, you know. Um, oh, yeah. If you, just, you just don't know. You don't, that's not in your control as a writer. Control the things you can control. You know? Right. You know, try to control the things you can control. Well, now that you're, you're officially retired now? From yeah, I'm, okay, as, of so. two, as of the end of April, I, 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 I became a, a retired. Well, congratulations. Yeah. And there are a lot of people out there. See, there are a lot of people out there who haven't asked me specifically to say this, but they want to see well, the stars in my pocket like grains of sand. They want to see that. Mm -hmm. not, not that novel again, but that world sort of revisited. And I wonder if, you, um, if, if you're thinking about writing science fiction again, outside of the parts of science fiction which are in Through the Valley of the Nest of Spiders. Um, again, like I said, it's the, it's, the, it's the guy next to you in the bar syndrome. Yeah. If you talk about all the things you want to do, you never do them. Well, that's true. So I don't. I tend just to stay. It's a subject I tend to stay away from, simply because it, it's it's too, um, it's subverted. It's it's the thing that touches the thing I'm actually doing, sure. and possibly, and I'm a little. I'm it's, it's I'm downright. I'm down. I'm I'm maybe even superstitious. I was I going know. to say. I, I know writers who are superstitious that somehow you're going to unspool. Mm -hmm. What's what's in there if you start talking about and it? I do, and I know. I, I mean, I've seen myself do it mm -hmm. before. There are some writers, of Zelazny, could sit there and tell an entire novel, and and go home and write it the next day, uh, or you know, start it on and, and have it done, you know, in six months. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and I mean, the, I, but he had such a great storytelling voice that right, you yeah. knew he loved doing that. Yeah. He loved spinning yeah, stories. I, mean, he, I, he, I, I remember I was not there, but I heard accounts of a bunch of people who. 
a set while he, for two hour, two or three hours, he told uh, Doorways in the Sand, which I think is probably mm -hmm. one of his great, one of his best novels. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I don't do that. <laughs> no, I mean, he, he, he did tell his stories. Yeah, uh -huh. and, uh, you know, I mean, he wrote it, and it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant performance, I think. I'm, I'm glad that he's still being read. I mean, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, because, as, as you mentioned, that generation... Uh, well, the, of the group that you were part of, you're 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 the only one left. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm it, you know, mm. um, and which is a, a, a sobering thought. It is I mean, a sobering I'm, thought. A few one years. wonders how much I, how long I'm about. Uh, <laughs> you seem to be doing well. I mean, well, you know, that's a nice thing to say to you know to, to us old fuddy duddies. I, you know, it, I've always I've always been a little death obsessed. You know, I think it, I don't think, is anybody not. Um, uh, I you know it comes as a surprise if they are because I that you know so I mean my father was a well there, there there's the Tom Dish way of being death obsessed yes, which I is think. different from what I yeah think. exactly yeah no I mean it is it is it is different um, and uh, I you know I uh, but uh, so you know I mean I you know I, I, I as I said it's what is it? Yeats said, you know, sex and death are the two. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The two topics that you know that concern most people most, and I think it's true, you know, um, because it's the ones we don't we know the least about and that are, you know, and and are always have to deal with. And they keep literature going forever. Yes, right, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. Uh -huh. Well, we're actually at the end of an hour, okay. so uh, thanks for doing this. Congratulations on the 40th anniversary of Dahlgren and the reprint of what are the three novels that are. Being reprinted in the vintage edition. Uh, the Jewels of Aptor, mm -hmm. The Ballad of Beta 2, and They Fly at Saran. And they Fly at Saran. Which so. was number two, but it didn't get published until my, it was my 19th published, because I took it off and rewrote it. Okay, so, great. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. okay, okay, well, thank you very okay, much thank for you, having me. Chip Delaney, yeah. and we will... Uh, I, I, have, I have a feeling I didn't say terribly much of interest about science fiction or well, probably anything else. Well, so you're here because you're you, not because we're talking, talking about science fiction necessarily. Well, I think science fiction is a very interesting subject. So okay. I, and I'm glad you're there doing the stuff you are with it. Okay, great. Okay. Until next week, this is the Good Street Podcast. And I'm stopping it there.